You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn more about their personal finances and get the most from their money. This series is hosted by Kate Campbell from How To Money and Owen Raskovich from Rask Finance. The Australian Finance Podcast is provided for educational purposes only. The information is general in nature and does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives. What that means is the information does not apply to you specifically. So consider getting the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information. Welcome to this very special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Owen Raskovich. This episode is special. Why? Because two reasons. One, I'm by myself. There is no Kate here with me. No Kate from How To Money. It is just little old me, so you're stuck with me for the next few minutes. And the second reason this is a special episode is that Kate and I have something exciting to announce. We are hosting the very first Australian Finance Podcast event. The event is in Melbourne later this month, and it's going to be a cracker. We've got some great panelists and guests lined up, and it's free. So how good is that? I'm also led to believe that there will be some wine and some beer available as long as the fridges don't run out too fast from everyone having a great night. But I can tell you what, if you're looking to really get on top of your financial goals this year, maybe you have some goals for investing, for budgeting, maybe you just want to get out of debt and you need to talk to people who have done that. This is the event for you. This is the event I would want to come to if I want to meet people who have lots of positive energy and are happy to share some of their wisdom. You'll also get to hear and meet me and Kate and a few of our expert panellists. I'm sorry to anyone who is not in Melbourne, which is where Kate and I both reside. We will attempt to record the events and put them online, hopefully within a day. I like to think that, but I don't want to be the Elon Musk of making promises for finance events. Hopefully we can 
release the footage from the event within a day, maybe two of the event taking place. So later this month in January. Uh, So anyone that is outside of Victoria can take part. But for those who are here in Melbourne with us, I highly encourage you to come along to this free event. Again, I'm just emphasizing the free because we're here talking about budgets, finance and investing. Who doesn't love something for free? Especially if there's beer and wine involved. I mean, come on. But one special point that I want to make apparent from this little announcement And I do have other things that I'm going to get through to in this podcast, like the five things about finance and investing that I wish I knew or I wish someone taught me. But the special point that I want to get across with this announcement is we would really like it if we can get a room full. And not only that, we can get a room that has more than 50% females. So I know this sucks coming from a guy who's trying to tell everyone to get their wives or friends or family members across to the event. But I've been to far too many events, and I think Kate has too, been to far too many events where it's like 80% men. So what we're doing this time around and for our very first event is we're asking a majority of our panelists, or we're not asking, we are, we have got together some fantastic finance personalities, some authors, um, some bloggers, and some, I guess, just industry veterans. We've got them together, and they're female. In fact, I think I'm the only male panelist. So we're trying to inspire more women to come along and get involved in this conversation. And this is not at the exclusion of men. Don't you worry. I will be there, and I will be loving it. But we're hoping to get as many women along as we can. And this is so important. Now, while I'm on the topic, I might just throw a stat out there. Did you know that when it comes to investing, women tend to outperform men in investing by an average of around about 2% per year? That's a huge difference compounded over a lifetime. And it goes to show, you know, that this is not a male sport. If you are an investor, it is definitely open to both parties. And we want to get that conversation rolling happening just get the momentum behind it earlier in the lifetimes of everyone we can and we think the best way to do that is to get everyone out and about and talking about finance and that's what this event is about 2020 financial goals kickstart your path to financial independence so just some logistical details the event is on the 29th of january 2020 that's this month i know we haven't left ourselves much time So that's why I'm doing this special podcast by myself. It will be at 6 p.m., so that's after work. Where is it happening? It's in Melbourne. It's on William Street in the city. So for those of you who work in the city or work nearby, or even maybe if you're traveling and you're worried about traffic, 6 p.m. is a good time. It goes for about two hours, this event, so you're not going to be in there all night. Don't worry. How much is it? Well, it's free. So it doesn't cost you anything. And like I said, there may even be some free free beverages. Um, If there is, I'll be taking advantage of that. uh, Where can you get tickets from? I'm just going over the notes in front of me, by the way. Where can you get tickets from? Well, you can head to the General Assembly website. That's assembly with an A. General Assembly website and navigate to the Melbourne location. And there you'll find the events page. And um, you'll see something for the Australian Finance Podcast. Kickstart your 2020 financial goals. Or if you're like me, 
you can just scroll on your podcast player to the link that we've included in the show notes, hit it, and then put your email address in when you get to the landing page, and that is your ticket. So that's on the General Assembly website. You have to navigate to the Melbourne page. So what are we going to be talking about at the event? Uh, We're going to have some presentations. We are going to share some insights on budgeting, investing, um, ETFs, all different types of things that you've wanted to talk us to talk about. We're going to talk about live. Um, and we, like I said, we're probably going to record it so you can have it in podcast form or maybe even in video form the next day or the day after. So don't worry, anyone that is left out, you can email us as always. You can email us podcast at raskfinance.com and we will try and answer your questions live in front of an audience. That will be a, a bit of fun for us. Okay, so now that we've gone through that, um, feel free to pause this podcast right now and go ahead and get your tickets. Have you done that? Fantastic. Okay, now the thing that we want to hear about. Here are the five things I wish I knew about investing and finance. And this little discussion comes from... uh, a blog post that I put together recently. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. And I was just looking back on all the things that I've learned over the last 10 plus years um, that I've been around about investing, finance, and just generally on this path to financial independence, I, I think you could say is probably the best way to phrase it. And I sat down with Catherine, our analyst here at Rask, and I thought, what are the five things that we wish we knew about investing in finance? Wouldn't that be great to share with people? And I think, you know, if you only read one blog post or you read one update that I've written, this would probably be the one. And this went out to our, uh, and I'm sorry for anyone that's on our mailing list, but this went out to our mailing list um, not too long ago. So I apologize if it's a bit of a rehash. But the first thing, the first thing that I wish I knew about finance and investing is this. The 80-20 rule applies. For many of you, the 80-20 rule will be quite familiar. But basically, it's this idea that you can put in 20% of the effort and get 80% of the reward. And you'll see this thrown around, this, I guess, rule or standard, or it's more of a rule of thumb, I guess, but this idea that you can put in 20% of the work at 80% of the output. And I believe that this applies equally to people investing in the share market. Because there is a way, and we've talked about it on this series at length, to really make investing easy on yourself, but also enjoy most of the benefits. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about investing in a low cost way, a way that's mostly hands off. I mean, you're not picking individual shares, you're not buying individual investment properties, you're not trying to get the best term deposits. What's a way that you can do that low cost, kind of in this, put it in the bottom drawer and forget about it, but also get a decent return? Well, academic studies have shown and even industry studies have shown that investing in low-cost, diversified index funds and index fund ETFs, which we've discussed at length, as I said, on this series so far, can work wonders. And I'm going to throw a hard factual statistic at you right now. S&P, or Standard & Poor's, have a division of their business called SPIVA, S-P-I-V-A, and they produce research on professional fund managers. And as you know, professional fund managers are those that pick individual shares 
and then they try to outperform the market or the average. So the ASX 200 or the Dow Jones or the S&P 500, all those things that you see on the news each day, which is what we call an index or an indice, those represent, quote unquote, the average of the stock market. So we call that a benchmark because if you can't do better than, quote unquote, the average, well, should you be investing in individual shares or should you be investing in individual assets or should you just buy the market, invest in the whole entire market? The best way to think about this is, I guess you as a property owner or, or a renter or someone like that, you have what what you um, have paid for a house and then you can see that go up year over year over year or down if you do it badly. But then you can also get the news and you can see how Australian house prices have gone up over time. Now, imagine if you go back 20 years, you've bought a house and it's gone down. That would be like buying a share that goes down. But then if you look at the statistics for the entire market that have gone up, say, between 5 or 15% in any one year, but on average, let's say, Australian house prices have gone up about 9 or 10% on average for the entire market over the last 20 years, that is effectively an index. And you can do that with share market investing, right? So here's, a hard, here's the hard statistic that I want to get across to you. S&P Spiva Research for... The years, the five years to June 30th, 2019, showed that around 80% of active fund managers performed below the ASX 200, the Australian share market 200 index. Now, as you know, I buy individual shares, I do all that sort of stuff, I'm an investor. So I'm not saying that this is the right thing, this is not a podcast for me to tell you what to do, definitely not. I'm just showing some telling you some facts, that that is what the, the facts say about active fund managers. Most of them, according to this study, do worse than average. So wouldn't it be great if you can do at least average? And the way we know that you can lock in close to an average return, at least, is via index funds and index fund ETFs. But you might be saying, well, hey, Owen, do you invest that way? And I would say, yeah, kind of. My super fund isn't invested that way. Um, I'm through the big industry super fund. And um, I own individual shares and I own ETFs. And there's this ongoing debate. Should everyone just be invested in index funds or ETFs? Or should people be buying shares, individual shares? Or should people be investing in investment property or just in cash or something else like Bitcoin? Should you be doing just that? And this is what we call in psychology a false choice. We give people seemingly two options, maybe a few more, and say, what would you do? This is your choice. What would you do? Pick one. When in reality, it's a false choice because you don't have to pick one. You can pick all of them. You could pick none of them. And so when it comes to whether you're an active investor, you buy individual shares, you buy investment properties, that sort of stuff, or you go with just sticking your money in super and just doing ETFs and index funds, you know, you, you guess what? You don't have to do one or the other. You can do them all. It's like I drink Coke, right? I drink Coke more than I drink Pepsi, but I'll happily drink Pepsi too. I'll drink them both at the same time if I have to. I don't really care. And that's the point of this. You don't have to choose one or the other. You can do the easier option if you want to. And it seems from the past, and the, the, the facts show this, that that seems to be the easiest way to capture most 
of the benefit of investing in the share market. Now, people will disagree with me, and I get that. Cool. But you can do that. That's the first thing I wish I knew. If I didn't care about finance, if this is the last investing and finance podcast I ever listened to, that is okay. That you would take the route of not doing a lot, but getting plenty of the upside. So... That was the first one. Hey, what's the second, third, fourth, and fifth? I haven't got all day. Okay, the second one is compounding. Now, as I said in the article, I wish I truly understood the effects of compounding sooner than I did. So, yeah, I've known the math of compounding since I was probably in primary school is when they started introducing the idea of compound interest. But it took me so long, and I regret this, to actually feel the effects of it and truly appreciate that I should have been doing it sooner. You don't need to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to benefit from compound interest. Maybe I'll back this up, say, what is compound interest? We've done a whole episode on this, and it's probably the most important episode ever, but Compound interest is if I give you a dollar today, I say to you, I want a dollar and five back in a year from now. But then I say, I want maybe, I don't know, even a little bit more than that if I give it back to you the second year. So it's interest on interest. And the easiest way to know that compound interest or just the time value of money, as we call it, is a real thing, is go up to any four-year-old and say to them, hey, I'll give you a dollar now or you can have a dollar five in a year from now they're going to take the dollar now and that shows you that the dollar now is worth more to that young person right now in this very moment because they don't appreciate the long-term benefit of investing that money so if i said to them i'll give you a dollar five that's five percent interest most of us are just seeing here and now but the true benefit lies from sacrificing that money for the long-term gain and that is compound interest and we've, again, done a, I've just butchered it, but we've done a full episode on this. And here's the simple maths, all right? Just remember these numbers. The rule of 72, if you invest at a 10% return, it takes just seven years or just a little bit more to double your investment. Now, that's after tax, which we'll get to in just a moment. If you, have, if you achieve a 5% return, it takes 15 years to double. You know, these are simple numbers, but when we think about 10 years into the future, seven years into the future, 15 years into the future, we really can't appreciate it. We're just like that four-year-old that takes the money here and now. But I tell you what, folks, I've been doing this long enough now to realize that there is tremendous power in foregoing that money and getting the long-term benefit. So let me just throw some other numbers at you. I've got, I've just jumped onto our compound interest calculator. A $50 deposit now. Let's say we've got 50 bucks, a pineapple in our pocket, and we can invest it at a 7% return. But not only that, and that's a 7% yearly return, not only that, we can invest $50 extra per week. So let's just take away, you know, you need this much to buy shares and blah, 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 blah. Just numbers. $50 now, and then $50 every week into the future for 30 years. $50 now, $50 per week for 30 years, and we get a 7% return. I've just plucked that number out of thin air. 7% seems reasonable. How much do we have? It's a good question. How much do we have? 
I've got the number right here in front of me. I'm just trying to let your imagination go. We would have total savings of around about $245,979. Around about, that's actually precise, but yeah, you get the idea. But here's the truly amazing thing. Of that $245,000, $167,000 of it comes from the interest earned. Only $78,000 comes from the deposits of what we put away. That's because after a couple of years, the interest is earning more interest. And not only that, after a period of time, sometime in the future, we're earning so much more than $50 in interest per week. And that's what they call a passive income. When your, I guess, savings and the interest earned on those savings and the returns earned on those savings start to replace the amount that you can earn from your job. And that, or not even your job, what you need to survive. And we've talked about the fire movement and all those different types of things over the series. Kate had some really great ideas on that. That's what you need to remember. That's why we need compound interest and that's why you cannot underappreciate it. The third thing on my list is tax. Now, I'm not a tax accountant. I'm not a tax agent. I'm pretending to be one. I'm also not a rocket scientist. But you know what? I understand most of the important tax rules that apply to my situation and even to our business's situation. Why? Because tax is the most expensive bill chances are any of us will pay in our entire lifetimes. Nothing else will come close to it. If you're like most Aussies, you're sitting in that 30 to 40% tax bracket. Let's say you've got, you pay 33% a tax on your earnings you're working for around about one third of the year for the tax man because one third of your money is going to the tax man. Just think about it like maybe even January, February and March. If you just took your earnings from January, February and March and gave it all to the tax office, that's what you've got to do each year just to pay them off and the other nine months is yours to keep. That is how tax works, you know, in a roundabout way. But you get the idea. If it's such a big thing, doesn't it make sense to understand it a little bit, to try and minimize it where you can? I'm not saying avoid it. That would be illegal. But I'm just saying to minimize it. So this comes from Robert Kiyosaki's book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He talks about tax quite a fair bit. Um, Basically, I've boiled it down to there are two types of tax that most Aussies know, at least loosely. And the first thing is income tax. Most of us, all of us pay income tax. As far as I know, um, the more we make, so the more money you get into your bank account, less any deductions that are allowable, you pay tax on what's left over. So the more you earn, the more you pay. That's our progressive tax system. Now, there's the old finance joke that you go to an event and the person who's standing on stage says, who wants to pay more tax? And only one person in the crowd puts their hand up and says, I do. And that person is the one who's the the smart one in the room because if you pay more tax, it means you're earning more. But at the same time, we can do things to, I guess, make our lives just a little bit better. And um, I would encourage all of you to get a good accountant on your side, someone you can ask questions of, or even just a family friend who knows things, or best of all, learn about it. Learn about the tax rules that apply to you. 
learn about the different tax structures, companies, trusts, individuals, sole traders, if you need an ABN, if you need an ACN, all these different things. This is especially important if you're a business or contractor or a gig economy worker, but all of these things matter. The second one that the second type of tax that most people come into is capital gains tax, CGT as it's known in the industry. CGT is another type of tax that most individuals pay. I won't go into the details because accountants are paid for this, uh, not me. And basically, it's selling something or an asset for more than you bought it for. Basically, there are some, there are many rules and finer details around that, but that's the basics of it. And what it ultimately means, at least in my eyes, is traders, so day traders, like people who trade things or people who flip things, so property you know, investors who say, I, I flip this house for a 50 grand profit. Um, what it means is if you are more active, you tend to pay more capital gains tax because you're constantly buying and selling. But then a, a neat feature of the Australian tax law, at least for residents, to my understanding, is that if you hold an investment for more than a year, again, you've got to check what type of investment it is, there can be tax benefits because you might not have to pay the full amount of capital gains tax. That's all I'll say on this topic, but those are the two that kind of stand out to me. Another one um, which is obvious is the Medicare levy surcharge, and I've said surcharge because it's different to the normal Medicare levy. There are two different things. Um, so that's and how that impacts your pri- with private health insurance is something that you need to know. Anyway, I'm getting caught up in these things, but you know we all love tax. One former business tycoon said, if anybody in this country doesn't minimize their tax, they want their head read. And he went on to say something to the effect of, because the government cannot spend it wisely. (laughs) So that's all I'll say for that one. But the third one was tax. The fourth one is my belief that good habits crush good budgets. So if you've got good habits lifestyle habits, financial habits, you will be a good saver, a good investor, a good everything, if you have the right habits. And so I guess we've talked about goal setting in the past. Shocker, I don't really set goals, at least not for finances. I don't track the value of my portfolio every day. I don't think about You know, I want to be a millionaire before I'm 30. I've never really thought about that. I want to retire at 50 with $5 million or equivalent in today's dollars. I've never thought like that, ever. It's not really a motivator for me because I know if I have good habits, good lifestyle habits, good saving habits, all that stuff, the stress about money, the stress about, you know, just making ends meet, that'll take care of itself if I can get the habits right, the day-to-day, the things I do here and now. And now I'm not saying that budgets don't work because I think they do and I have a budget and you can just Google the RASP budget and I'm sure it will come up somewhere. Someone would have posted it. But I think I posted it actually. Well, we posted it. Kate and I posted it. Yeah, so you can do that. Check the show notes. Anyway, I'm not saying that they don't work, but I think good habits are the, the product of what a budget is supposed to be. And so I always say to people, you know, think in terms of habits, think in terms of systems. If you, instead of setting a goal of say, I want to read 52 books this year, 
Why don't you just say, I want to read for an hour a day, or I want to read for 15 minutes, or, you know, I want to get on top of my financial situation by June 30, 2020. Why not say, listen to 15 minutes of finance podcasts? Those form good habits, and eventually you'll come to want to listen to the podcast because it's what you do, or you'll start reading because it's what you do. And those are the ways that I kind of live my life. I don't really think about the, the big overwhelming tasks ahead of me. I kind of think of like the little wins that, I, that I, I, I need to keep me motivated to go forward. I don't think, you know, I want to drop 10 kilos and be super muscular. I think I'm just going to go to the gym for half an hour a day during the week, give myself the weekends off, done. And I'm not saying that I've got it right. That's just how I approach it. And that's how I approach my finances. It's the same way. And we've talked before, and I've used this quote too many times, the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken, but you can break bad habits. Don't let that quote fool you. You can break bad habits. It just takes time. It takes setting short-term, I guess, we could use the word goals, but I'll use the word systems. So maybe you can set a goal that's a daily goal, and every time you achieve that, mark that off on your calendar or give yourself a pat on the back. You know, you read for 15 minutes today, you learned about finance, you did whatever. You saved $5 today and put it in the piggy bank. Cool. That's a daily thing that you can come back to and eventually that will snowball into something much more bigger. Much bigger, sorry. Okay, so good habits crush good budgets. And there are many ways you can form good habits. Um, I don't have time to go through them right now, but you can jump onto any of the websites devoted to psychology and work that out. The last one, and this is related to point four, I guess, in the way that it's related to psychology, and it's that I believe EQ trumps IQ in investing. EQ and IQ. What do I mean by EQ and IQ? Well, most of you would know that IQ is, I guess, a proxy for intelligence. Most people say, she must have had an IQ of at least 130, as if people would think that that was one or two standard deviations above average and somehow they're super intelligent but basically iq is what is the label that we've given to people that are intelligent eq which is emotional intelligence is the thing that's very hard to define it's the thing about someone the things the mannerisms the personality traits the way they conduct themselves it's just this eq level is just this thing that's how good are you at doing the things that you can't really measure and so basically for me eq lowers your ego boosts your humility enables you to live and manage money without envy and to avoid harmful biases our few topics or podcast episodes that we've done on biases have been some of our most popular so far and I think one of the reasons is that they are so profound. They have such a significant impact, not only in our investing, but in our daily lives. And if we can acknowledge them and deal with them, then that means we have high levels of emotional intelligence, high levels of EQ. Basically, my belief is that if you want to make better investment decisions, better lifestyle decisions, better relationship decisions... And you want to operate your brain in what I call level two thinking or what other people call the second level thinking. 
you should start focusing on your EQ. And so I don't say, I'm not saying to work on your personality or work on the way you behave or your temperament in place of working on your IQ. I'm just saying, think about how your emotions are formed, how your decisions are impacted by those emotions and try and find a better way to deal with that. We've talked about many good resources and podcasts and and given you the nudge to things like Farnham Street, the blog. It's quite a dense blog, but Farnham Street, which is a blog that I follow religiously, um, which is about finding mental tools and ways of coping with things and decision making and just make your life better. And just to give you some context on what level two thinking might be. So I explained this at a workshop I did recently. There are two different types of thinking, at least according to people, psychologists such as Daniel Kahneman, who, who suggest that the first level of thinking is the type of thinking that you might be able to do when you're driving your car around a corner. So really basic kind of instincts, heuristics, gut feel, those decisions, you know, those decisions to run away from someone who has a knife. That's the kind of stuff that helped us survive for centuries, the human race to move forward and evolution to kick in. But in today's modern world, and when it comes to investing in particular, those are not the types of decisions you want to make. When your ETF or your shares or your investment property falls 5%, your gut instinct is telling you to pull out now or forever hold your guilt, forever you will have lost that 5% because that is what you are feeling. That is the rush of blood that's telling your brain to act, 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 fight or flight, deal with it now. But those are not the right ways to deal with investment decisions. That is not the right way. What you want to be doing is using your second level thinking. So if first level thinking was the thinking that you could do while you're driving your car around a corner, And in investing, that might be, oh, look, it has a low price earnings ratio or dividend yields are 5% or more. The other type of thinking is the thinking that you can't do driving around a corner. You might be driving right now. I hope you're focused on the road, by the way. But if second level thinking is the kind of stuff you can't do while driving around the corner, it's the kind of stuff that you have to sit back and really think about. It's not your knee-jerk reaction. It's not a decision that you can make with haste. You know, I would say a decision like buying a house is typically one that people spend time thinking about. But yet when it comes to investing in shares, many people are kind of operating in system one. Their head's just going round and round and round making decisions. Yet when it comes to property, we make them in, most of us, I hope, would make a decision with less emotion um, and more... I guess, critical thought. And that's how most good investors operate. In my time, researching these investors, researching what they do and how they came to be, who they are and so successful financially, they tend to spend the majority of their time in system two. And the only way that you can push your mind to think more critically and I guess consider all of the consequences to your decision making is to be in system two two or level two and the only way you get there is with high amounts of emotional intelligence and knowing what your monkey brain is telling you what to do and kind of disregarding that 
Um, there are certainly times when level one thinking is important, uh, most of your day, for example, but there are times when level two is more important, and that's with investing, in my opinion. So that went deep, and it went deep pretty quickly. I mean, we're about 30 minutes in, but if you've sat through this, it means you've got through the five things about finance and investing I wish I knew. Kate isn't here with me today, but she will be, at least she's told me, on good, I have it on good authority that she will be with us at the event at the end of this month. So a reminder for anyone that is in or around Melbourne on the 29th of January, 2020, at 6 p.m., we will be hosting the first ever Australian finance event. Australian finance, well, not first, what am I saying? Australian finance podcast event. I have to put that podcast in there because it's an event for everyone that listens to this series, for everyone who's benefited from it. Maybe if you hate it, you can still come along. But I would like to think that you were a passionate follower of ours and you would like to meet us and ask us some questions in the flesh and really just engage with some people who um, like in, to talk about finance and really want to get the ball rolling on their own finances. Maybe you can bring some friends. You don't have to be a listener of this podcast to come along. Maybe you can bring your partner who isn't really invested in the financial conversation. Maybe you can bring a family member. I know for certain that a certain co-host of this podcast may be at the event with a family member. All will be revealed. Any case, there's going to be wine. So, ladies and gentlemen, please come along, if only for the wine. Also, thank you for listening to this entire episode of me just pretty much rambling about finance and events. I also want to say thank you for making this series such a fantastic one for Kate and I and for everyone here at Rask and just the community at large. And come on, if you can, get to our event on the 29th of January, 2020. I'll leave it at that. You'll find all of the details in the show notes, in your podcast player, or on the General Assembly website. If you navigate to the Melbourne location and hit events, you'll find a way to get your free ticket there. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. 
If you've ever heard me talk about a core in a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.